Welcome to Mentally Untable Adventures, Table Flip Number 5, RPG A 2016, questions 9 through 19. Oh, this podcast may contain bad language, crude humor, and graphic violence, and it, in general is not fit for, hu- for human com- cons- consumption. You heard right, folks. The end of summer craziness continues with bachelor parties, vacations, and that means it is time to catch up with the RPG a day, questions 9 through 19. So yes, you have one more episode of this to look forward to before summer ends, and then after that, it's back to regularly scheduled programming. Enjoy the show. So the question for the ninth is... Beyond the game, what's involved in an ideal session? Uh, For me, it really comes down to everybody being able to uh, get together, you know, shoot the breeze while we're waiting for everybody to get there, have that sort of little bit of decompression time at the beginning. You know, everybody get get a drink, get a snack, get get settled in. Um, And then you play, and the most important part of playing is... For me to sort of have that end of the session arrive with something nice to finish it off, a nice climax, whether that's, um, you know, a, a dramatic combat or, you know, some emotional uh, um, climax to the evening. I, I want to sort of end on a high note. But really, as long as I've got good people around me, the details can be highly variable as to what constitutes a quote-unquote, ideal session, but... Question for the 10th. The largest in-game surprise that I have experienced? Well, this one was uh, one of my favorites. It was uh, when I was still in college, and I was gaming with some guys uh, and ladies that were super awesome. We were playing um, a World of Darkness game, uh, vampire, mage, werewolf, you know, just a giant blender of crazy. And I was playing a Nosferatu named Sebastian. Uh, and we had somehow managed through interaction with some mage, uh, I can't remember which tradition uh, had um, powers that could control time. And we ended up getting tossed back in time, like to the Middle Ages. I assume because the guy running the game, I think, had. Uh, uh, picked up one of the like Vampire Dark Ages books and wanted to play around with a few of the things in there. And so we we went back in time and my character had um, you know, because he was Nosferatu, he was always using the Mask of a Thousand Faces to, to uh, change to look like somebody who didn't look, you know, crazy and ugly and terrible. And of course, the the DM then uh, said, "Oh, by the way, you know, you're kind of hungry." Uh, so I went out looking for some, uh, you know, vagrant or vagabond in the in the streets that I, that wouldn't be missed. Of course, you know, a thousand years ago, I thought, "Ah, oh, this is quite easy. Everything will uh, will be uh, much easier than in the modern day." And then, as I fed on him, the DM at the time uh, mentioned that, "Oh, by the way, he looks really familiar." And then he informed me that that I was feeding on myself when he when I looked into the the backstory that I had given to him right around this time right around this place is where I had said that I was first embraced and then 
it, you know, he said, and of, and of course, I had been, you know, just sort of assuming the random face, you know, of, of you know, just some handsome guy. And apparently the face that I had assumed, uh, the GM informed me, was actually the face of my sire. I had sort of subconsciously just been using his face, you know, a thousand years later, um, just because it was one of many faces in sort of the Rolodex of my head. Uh, and so, of course, then I looked down at myself dying in my own arms, realized, oh God, I, I, I have to, I have to embrace myself, um, which worked out good because of course in my backstory I had written that I had been part of a blood hunt at some point, had, you know, lowered one generation for what I was actually, when I was actually created as a vampire. And so of course the, you know, the math and the game mechanics still works out that yes, I can be my own sire, uh, and still have it make somewhat of sense. Although I was like, well, this is weird. Um, <laughs> so, uh, all that being said, the, the the rest of the group was off doing some sort of... I can't even remember why we were there or what we were trying to accomplish. I think they were trying to figure out how to get us back to our time. Uh, and so I basically split off from the group because I said, look, I've got to go, like, teach myself how to be a vampire. Like, my sire stayed with me for, like, you know, a long time after I was embraced. I can't just, you know, run. I, I've got to stay here with him you know, wearing this face. Uh, and so they were, you know, mildly creeped out, but they took off, uh, uh, figured out how to get back. And then they, of course, came to find me to say, oh, hey, by the way, you know, we figured out we've got we've got the way to go back. Are you ready to go? To which I, of course, had to respond, no. Uh, you know, according to my backstory, my, my sire had stayed with me for years. And so I was like, I, I can't go back with you. This is goodbye. I, I can't go. I have to stay here. I have to make sure that this proceeds as I remember it. Um, and so there was a lot of, you know, tearful goodbyes and um, uh, there was, you know, some concern as to what was going to happen to my uh, um, ghoul thrall at the time. And and so there was, you know, there was a lot of uh, a wringing of hands and I was, I was thinking, well, geez, okay, so what am I going to, what am I going to make for my new character? You know, as I, as I sort of, you know, resigned this character to, uh, to be lost. Um, and so the rest of the group, you know, goes back to the present day to sort of one of our, our uh, uh, favorite haunts in the town, the, the castle where the prince uh, hold up. Uh, and, you know, the rest of the group gets back and some of the people there you know, are like, what happened? You know, where, where's, where, where's, where did Sebastian go? Um, you know, they, as they noticed I wasn't there, as they began to tearfully tell uh, the other NPCs, you know, what, you know, what had happened and, and that I had been left behind. Uh, literally at this point, I am beginning to look through books trying to figure out what, what new character I'm going to make. The DM informs them that they then hear Sebastian's voice from the corner, to which I sort of look up in shock and surprise, like, what? And then it dawns on me, well, duh, I'm a vampire. I've already lived that length of time before I could live that length of time again and so you know at first it's the oh I see what you're doing and then of course the you know sort of in game implications come crashing oh wait there's rules for like aging a thousand years in vampire and like oh my god and like I looked at the DM like just with like shock like what are you are you serious and he just like grins at me like a cheshire cat because of course he knows that i'm going to you know 
do this and use it to you know poke things and not be a jerk with with it so i don't know i don't know why he decided that i needed another thousand years worth of aging as a vampire but uh, uh i was never quite caught so by surprise as by that moment Question for the 11th. Which gamer most affected the way you play? There is a lot of candidates for this one, but in the end, I had to settle for a friend of mine named Ethan from Kansas City. I had moved to the area, and I didn't really know anyone uh, at the time, and I showed up to the group that he was playing in at a game store, and they they took me in and and started me. Uh, I don't believe I'd even played third edition at that point. I think that was what the the game at the time was, uh, Dungeons and Dragons third edition. And uh, him and his group sort of took me in. And the reason I, I I put him on there is because he has such a passion for gaming, and it his passion was infectious. One of the reasons why that game was so good and had so many people that wanted to be a part of it, I believe, was because of his passion and his enthusiasm for that game. He was the driver. He was the motivator. He was the guy that, that like, let's do this. Um, uh, he was, and, and he, and he was really, he was generous with the other players, with, with screen time, with trying to, to work their characters into things and to, to make things tie in nicely for everybody. You know, he was, uh, he was just, in general, a good guy to have at your table. So for that one, I will definitely have to nominate Ethan. Question for the twelfth. What game is your group most likely to play next and why? My first gut instinct is to say D&D 5th edition because we've been wanting to play it uh, for a while um, but we just have not have not gotten it to the table. i got to figure out if I maybe just make some pre-gen sometime but in spite of that real hard pull to want to do 50. I'm going to guess the next thing we'll actually play will probably be uh, maybe Action Movie World or uh, The Sprawl, because jumping from one Powered by the Apocalypse game to another is a lot easier and character creation is uh, fairly usually fairly quick and lets us jump right in uh, without me having to spend the time of making up pre-gens for uh, the game. Um, and I, and I like to see what uh, characters my players come up with. They are a uh, creative and interesting bunch, to say the least. So letting letting them get to have that experience of creating a character and then playing it is, I think, a little better than me just making up something uh, ahead of time. Question for the 13th. What makes a successful campaign? Um, my first instinct is to say I don't know, because uh, I don't think I've ever done it. Um... I think the one thing that's really necessary is a stable player base. Um, if you've got the same group of people showing up week in and week out, that that group cohesion is is a powerful part of what makes a campaign uh, successful. What makes it a great campaign? It is less about, I feel like, the story, the external story, and more about um, those connections that and, and that develop between the characters, um, you know, the 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 conflicts and and uh, agreements that come up amongst the group uh, that I think really sort of cements together a campaign. And so having a a stable group that is is constantly there is uh, definitely the uh, I think the number one ingredient that helps uh, make that happen. 
Question for the 14th. My dream team of people I used to game with. Um, again, I had a lot of trouble narrowing this one down because there are a lot of people out there whom uh, I have gamed with and have enjoyed it greatly. Um, but I started to think that one thing I would love to see happen, and maybe this is something I can do yet someday, is I would love to get Brett, Kevin, and Ben, um, and... Chris, although unfortunately Chris is no longer with us. Um, but these were the guys that I played with in high school. Really, these were all, these are all uh, uh, Boy Scout friends of mine, really, uh, is where this sort of uh, began. And so, you know, we played together when we were in high school. And, you know, we were, we were I don't know, the, the typical high school gamers. We were jerks. We were, we were idiots. Um, but boy, did we have a good time. And part of me really wants to see what kind of gamers those guys and I would be today if we got to play a game together. As far as I know, none of them game anymore, but I am still in contact with all of them a little bit. So you never know. Maybe one of these times I will uh, throw together a Roll20 thing and say, hey guys, just for old time's sake, let's, let's roll some dice once more. Question for the 15th. My best source of inspiration for RPGs. Um, I like using pictures and art uh, as a jumping off point. I like rummaging through uh, deviant art galleries, Pinterest boards. There are times where, you know, a, a single picture, a single art piece that you find can, you know, there are so many ideas and so many sort of questions inherent in that piece, you know, that, that, you know, just one single good piece of art can make you go, I want to see what's behind there. I want to see what he's about to do with that. I want to see how they're going to get out of, you know, like there, there's, there's a lot that can be done with one single piece of visual art. So I would say that is, that is the best piece I think for me is just, just enough to plant that seed and, and bring up a bunch of questions. Question for the 16th historical person you'd like in your group and what game Ooh. so when I thought about this I, th I came up with Mark Twain would be I think an amazing addition to any table uh, his, uh, he's famously quick-witted um, and would be uh, incredibly quotable uh, would be great for podcast ratings but uh, um uh, and then when I had looked at this question earlier, I'd forgotten the second half of the question. What game? What game would we play with Mark Twain? Um, I think, honestly, anything... Well, uh, I've got two ideas. Either Fiasco, um, because it is wide open enough that uh, you know he could sort of uh, put his uh, particular uh, genius to work on that, or anything uh, sort of in the Powered by the Apocalypse flavor where um, the players are going to have a lot of input um, on the setting and on the story, really uh, you know, allow him to, to have that large con contribution. I wouldn't want to play something um, you know, like um, uh, Shadowrun or uh, anything with a, with a really locked-in game mechanic and setting that, that the players... Are, are very sort of tightly bound in what they can and cannot do. I want something a little more freewheeling to, to sort of let him spread his wings a little bit. <laughs> Question for the 17th. What fictional character 
would best fit in your group. Now, I had to think about my group for a little bit, and I've sort of come to a realization about the group of guys that I play with, and one of those realizations is that they are madcap crazy, that that I'm not sure... I mean, I I still intend to try uh, a few at some point, but I'm not sure that serious games are their thing. Um, You know, like, real... Down in the down in the dirt, emotionally hard hitting stuff. They are they are much more um, much more uh, uh, zany than that. And so when I began to think about what kind of people they really are and who would be a good fit in a group like that, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, Zaphod Beeblebrox um, from uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Because he, I think, would match their level of uh, self-assuredness and craziness. He, he would be able to uh, step into that room and would roll right in without missing a beat. <laughs> uh, and I feel like they would, they would uh, take his crazy and it would only serve to help raise, raise the game for them as well. So uh, that is my nomination on that one. <laughs> Question for the 18th. What innovation could RPG groups benefit most from? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I could have said here, but I feel like the the direction that needs the thing that needs to be cracked at this point, as far as innovation goes, and I think at this point it's probably more a matter of sort of time and cost, but um, a really cheap, user friendly table display, like a display built into the table. I know we've all seen the uh, YouTube videos and the demos that have been done at at conventions and things. Um, I've seen, you know, like right now it's to the point where it can be done, um, but it is usually cumbersome, costly, and not terribly user-friendly. And so I think as sort of um, programming gets cleverer, the... um, the um, user interface, the the ability to uh, you know sort of uh, scan things, recognize objects placed on the table, things like that. The more uh, the more clever those things get, and then obviously the cheaper uh, the components become. Uh, you know, it would be nice to be able to, especially for for you know extremely complicated games, uh, games with a lot of rules that um, would ser- would would be very well served, I think, by. Um, a lot of automation. Um, for instance, I would love, uh, in fact, I do kind of love playing the like Shadowrun Returns uh, style video games, I think, for just such a thing. And so, you know, for a game like Shadowrun, where it would be really nice to be able to just, um, you know, touch your figure or put the put your little control piece next to your figure, which would bring up, you know, your sort of options for combat and you could, you know, just sort of tell it, uh, yes, I'm going to fire, you know, single fire this weapon at this target. It will it will pre-calculate all of the dice pool penalties and all that stuff for you. So all you have to do is sort of, you know, uh, click it and let it uh, uh, go through some of the hard stuff for you. Uh, maybe that's taken some of the fun out of it for some people, but I think that would be really beneficial for some. So, And last for this set... Uh, question for the 19th. The best way to learn a new game? I mean, for me, it is step one, read over the book. But my very quickly, my go-to you know, second thing, after I've sort of read through the book, or at least a good chunk of the book, 
I listen to actual plays. I find, or or I find somebody who actually, you know, who actually does play the game, go to a convention, try and get into a game of it at a convention, um, to actually see it or hear it being played at the table uh, is a really good way for, at least for me anyway, to pick up a new system. Uh, being able to hear that that conversation happening at the table uh, is invaluable because there's a lot of times where there's sort of like. Like, I didn't understand Powered by the Apocalypse games until I listened to the Jankcast, their uh, Leviathan games that they put out as actual plays. Like, I had I had seen um, Powered by the Apocalypse rules, but, like, I didn't, you know, I just didn't get it. I didn't, it didn't click in my head how the heck this, how does this work? Like, what, when, when's the DM's turn? You know, like, I, didn't, I just didn't understand what was going on. Uh, and so to actually just listen to people play to hear what that actual conversation sounds like at a table when you know when the die gets pulled when uh you know when in a game of dread you, you know you call it calling for those uh those pulls of the uh of the tower you know to actually just listen to it happening really gives you a sense of how how the rhythm and the flow of the game is supposed to go. Uh, not so much the, you know, I don't listen necessarily too much for the mechanical specifics. I mean, it, it helps to pick up some bits, but I'm going to go back to the book for the for the nitty-gritty details. So I don't even mind, you know, there's a lot of podcasts where people will say, oh, wait, don't listen to them to listen to learn how to play that game. They, they get, you know, a bunch of these rules wrong. Like, I'm I'm less concerned with so many of the deep, the nitty-gritty of the rules, and more just with a general sense of how is this supposed to sound how is this supposed to feel so that is that is for me and you know it's one of the reasons why i started the podcast is because i was always looking around for actual plays of you know this or that game that i'm interested in learning how to play and so the first thing i do is look online oh is there an actual play of that game um and there's a lot of games that you know there just aren't that many actual plays out there of or or none at all and so i decided well you know what we play games I think I'm just going to record them and put them out there, and maybe, just maybe, there will be someone else out there, like me, looking for a play of this game that they would like to listen to, to see what it sounds like when actual people play this game around a table. So, there you have it. bed for this episode was Revival by Kevin McLeod. You can find it and other royalty-free music at Incomptech.com. This work is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike 4.0 international license. All works discussed are the property of their respective owners. Our intro and outro music is by have a suggestion or just want to get in touch with us? Email us at mentallyontable at gmail.com. That's mentallyontable, no spaces or punctuation. You can like us on Facebook as Mentally UTA. That's one word, Mentally UTA. We're also on Stitcher and on iTunes. And you can find us on Twitter at mentallyuntable. M-E-N-T-A-L-L-Y-U-N-T-A-B-L-E. Thanks for listening.